Now, if you would, please be so kind to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 14. In a moment, I will read from those first six verses. I begin today with a sports illustration. Someone commented that on the paucity of uh, my uh, using sports illustrations, and they ask, why don't you talk about sports much? Because I don't care about them. Does that offend you? Get over it. But I like some of them, and so I use one or two today. And I, I might be speaking with some hyperbole there, but not much. But in 1996, Dale and I lived in Augusta, Georgia. And if you know anything about Augusta, Georgia, it's famous for a big golf tournament called the Masters. And we got invited to go to it a number of times. I don't think we went in 1996, but I was there in the town that day when a man named Greg Norman was up. He was uh, really winning by six shots, meaning he was down by six, but up by six. So he's winning by six shots. He's called by, what's his, what's AKA Greg Norman? The shark. Oh, you know, the shark. That's right. And so the shark was ahead by six strokes. Now, he is known for his stoic personality. Other people would say he's mean. Uh, But he's known for being ice cold. And he says he learned that from his father. And he didn't like it, but that's the way he was. He said, my daddy, when you get off the airplane and I would go to meet him, I wanted to hug him, but he would make me shake his hand. He wouldn't let me hug him. She said, that's why I am the way I am. Well, so he's, he's winning the Masters, 1996. But he blows his six-stroke lead, and Nick Faldo wins the Masters tournament in 1996. Amazing. And so the shark tells the story as, as the end was done and he's lost. Uh, Nick Faldo comes toward him and he said, I was expecting a handshake, but that's not what I got. Nick Faldo grasped me and held me, held me. And he said, I began to weep and Faldo began to weep. And he said, why was I weeping? Well, Norman says it was not because I lost. I'd lost a lot of games before. I'd lose a lot of tournaments after that. That's true. He did. He said it was not because Nick Faldo won. It's because no man had ever hugged me like that in my life. And I needed it. What a powerful story. All of us come through times in our life where we need a hand on the shoulder. We need a hug. All of us go through difficult times where we need that human comforting contact. Well... The Bible doesn't say Jesus hugged his disciples this this particular instance, but he spoke a comforting word to them. And it was as good as any hug they would have ever gotten. And yes, I do believe Jesus embraced them regularly, but we see this comforting touch from another man in John 14, 1 through 6. It's a beautiful word of encouragement, and I want you to look there, but... To do what I want to do today, we need to go back up into chapter 13. I apologize. I want to go back up. We read this last week, but I, I think it connects. And why John 14, 1 says what it says is connected 
to the latter part of John 13. So if you don't mind, back up just a little bit to verse 36 of uh, chapter 13 that we did study last week. It said, Lord Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Lord Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Remember the impetuousness of Peter as he was always the first to speak up and like many preachers spoke with hyperbole. He exaggerated. And then Jesus replies in verse 38, Will you lay down your life for me? I assure you a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go there and I prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. You know the way where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So our primary passage of today opens with this powerful word. Let not your heart be troubled. By the way, it's also found later on in this very same chapter. He will once again say, let not your heart be troubled. It's not surprising that the disciples were troubled. Because Jesus had earlier in chapter 13 revealed that one of them would betray him. And so that was a shock that went throughout that little group in terrific ways. And even right before this statement, Peter was told by the Lord Jesus himself, even you, Peter, thinking you're that's a great hero and you're going to stand with me, you're going to deny me, not once, not twice, but thrice or three times. So these disciples' hearts were heavy. They were troubled. They were stunned that even Peter, their loudmouth leader, was going to betray the Lord Jesus. I mean, they're struggling. They're, they're troubled and they're thinking, well, if Peter's going to do that, what about the rest of us? We're all in trouble. If Peter fails, Peter had announced, I'll follow you, Jesus, to the end. And by the way, a Catholic tradition, which I believe is correct in this instance, tells us that Peter would be crucified also. We don't have it in the Bible, but we have it in what's called tradition, early church tradition, that he would die. And it is said, perhaps anecdotally, but probably true, that he even, when he was about to be crucified, said, I do not deserve to be crucified like the Lord Jesus. Please crucify me upside down. And tradition says that's what happened to Peter. But he said, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. And so he's shocked when Jesus said, Oh, Peter, you can't. You can't. 
someday you will. Well, first of all, you need to understand as we look at this text that Jesus calmed them. They're struggling, they're troubled, they're hurting. And Jesus calmed them with one of his first six assurances. It's one that you better take home with you today. Hear me? Look at me. You better take it home with you today. This is the first of the greatest of assurances. And there's going to be five others that we shall study in the coming weeks. I pray that you will claim every single one of them. Because Jesus says, I'm fixing to take you on a great trip. And I am the way that you will go on that trip. And you can go on that trip. And he tells us that so clearly, so powerfully. First of all, quickly this morning, Jesus clarifies the desire. We looked back at verses 36 through 38 of chapter 13. Interestingly, Jesus did not rebuke Peter at this time. And by the way, the very last portion of John 21, which we shall study, y'all have to calculate how long you think it'll take us to get there. I don't know. It'll be a while. But the latter part of John, John 21, Jesus has a word for Peter based on what happens and what was predicted here. He didn't upbraid him, but his reply is somewhat cryptic. One day you will follow me to the cross, Peter. One day you will. And as I've just said, we believe that he did. So Jesus clarifies the desire. Second, he guarantees the reality of the destination of this trip. So you're ready to take a trip? Well, he guarantees the reality of the destination. Look at the following verses in chapter 14 verses 1 through 6. According to Jesus, heaven is a real place. He says to us there those powerful words, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Heaven is a real place. It is not the figment of some holy person's imagination. It is not the result of some psyched up mentality on the part of a few crazed disciples. It is the place where God dwells and it is where Jesus sits today. He guarantees the reality of this destination. Now let me just share with you, it's in the bulletin or on the screen, I don't know. But in other places throughout Scripture, here is how heaven is described. First of all, it's described in 2 Peter as a kingdom. Look that up some later time. We don't have time right now. It's described as an inheritance in 1 Peter 1.4. It's described as a country in Hebrews 11.16. It is described in 11.16 a city. And then in John 14, 2, our passage for today is described as a home. Where Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, where the Father is, it is home. I used to say this about my family. I used to travel so much. I truly didn't have a place I felt like was home. I said, well, home's where my wife is. Home's where my girls are. That's right, Jake. And that's when I retired. I came home where my girls were because that's home. And Dale and I decided this was home forever for us. Well, the Father is where heaven is. 
Heaven is where the Father is. Home is where the Father is. By the way, one London newspaper said, home is the place where you're treated the best and complain the most. Robert Frost, the great author, said that home is a place that when you arrive, they have to take you in. <laughs> oh, that's a good definition. But home is where the Father is. By the way, the word Father is used 53 times in this section through the, through the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. 40, uh, fi, excuse me, 53 times in those four chapters. That's where Jesus is. That's where the Father is. And he says these powerful words. In my Father's house are many what? Well, dwelling places. Now, the word, the Greek word there is the same Greek word that's used just a few layers on. King James translates it there, uh, dwelling places. And we have seen over the years people think, well, God's building us a mansion. I've already told you about that. I, I don't feel like I deserve a mansion. I'm just being delighted for a cot in the corner myself. But the word is not the word for mansion. And I know there's a gospel song. And I don't like that gospel song. And it's been in my head all week long. I got a mansion just over the hilltop. Da -da -da -da. Terrible song. Don't sing it. Don't sing it. Get it out of my mind, please. Because it's not a mansion. It's a dwelling place. But Jesus was a carpenter when he was on this earth. And he is building you and building me a place. And every saint of God, every person of God that has gone before has a dwelling place in heaven. What does it look like? It's not going to look like anything you have on this earth. But it will be a place where the Father is. So I don't care what the dwelling place is like. And nor should you. He is preparing places for us. The beautiful Sweet carpenter of Nazareth is building you a place. Your coming home to him will not surprise him. He'll have that place ready for you. He guarantees the reality of this destination. Well, why is this passage so powerful? I told you I was going to mention something personal, and I'm not going to talk too long about it because I don't want to take anything away from the focus on the Lord and on the Scripture. But you know, we lost our daughter now over 10 years ago. I'm not going to go into specifics of how, or I'm not going to go into specifics of why. That's for a more intimate time, perhaps some other place, some other time. But she left us. Some of you remember that day, that terrible day uh, in 2009, November the 27th, 2009. It was the day after Thanksgiving. And uh, it was a day that where things were changing in the Page household. I had resigned from my church. I had accepted a position North American Mission Board. I had begun working there. Uh, our house had sold so quickly in Greenville that uh, we didn't have a place to go to. We were homeless, literally. And so Dale was en route to uh, Atlanta to find us a place, Alpharetta to find us a place to live. And I was doing what I always did on Fridays. I was mowing the yard. And uh, when I got the call, no need to go into detail about that, but I rushed to the hospital. And there was met by two physicians, one of whom is a dear, dear friend, surgeon, 
used to play guitar in our praise band. And he told me that my girl had gone. Well, what you know, what do you do? Uh, many of you say, I can't imagine. Well, I don't want you to imagine, honestly. I don't want that for you. But I just want to tell you, I got on my knees by myself. No one else had arrived yet. Later, Dale, of course, would arrive back. She had to turn around and come back. And other people would come, of course. Uh, you know how it is. And friends gather and support you. Some people say, well, after a while, they leave you. Well, not true. So, I was going to try to say something funny to break the moment. Uh, like, for example, Baptists and evangelicals love to feed you into a fried chicken coma uh, at any time there's a tragedy. And so, uh, we got more food than you could ever imagine. And I'm going to connect that with the story in just a moment. But I got on my knees. Why? Well, here's the deal. When you don't know what to do, you do what you know to do. Did you hear me? Look at me. When you don't know what to do, Jake, you do what you know to do. That's right. What's right to do. That's right, son. So all I knew to do was get on my knees. Now I began to quote scripture. Now the Lord doesn't need me to quote scripture to him. He wrote it. You can laugh about that. And my first passage that I quoted was out of the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 21b. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you for helping me. And then I quoted John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus is honest with us. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So I prayed that prayer. I, I quoted that scripture. And the Lord brought a comfort to my heart which was inexplicable. Because in that time, you, you know, everything, time stops. Everything ceases. You, you just don't know how to handle. But I knew who loved me. And I knew who loved my daughter. And so in the days ahead, I will tell you, the Lord continued to comfort through friends, family, scripture. That never has stopped to this day. So the funeral comes, and you know, after the funeral, again, what do you do? You feed people into this fried chicken coma. And so the church people had a, a lunch for us. My daughter had been put in the grave, and the grave had not been closed yet, and I asked a couple of my friends to go with me out to see the grave one more time, and they did. 
And one of them I've told you about before, he's a car dealer in Augusta. He was there with me 24-7, and he stood to one side of me, and then another friend I mentioned to somebody this morning, my friend Gary Harrell. He's been a friend since the 80s. He's now retired two-star general, former commander of the Delta Force, horse of a man. I mean, just a powerhouse of a guy. He stood to my other side, and neither of them knew what to say. Well, guess what? I didn't need him to say anything. Because oftentimes when things like this happen, people say the wrong things. They say things that might be true, but you just don't want to hear at that moment. Well, she's in a better place. Don't say that to me. Yes, I believe that she is, but I want her here. Well, you know, God's in control. Uh, okay, thank you, yes. So you tell me God did this? No, God did not do that. He knew it, but he didn't do it. And sometimes it's just best to say nothing at all, just to be there, right? It's called the ministry of presence. So my big friends, they didn't know what to say. Well, I didn't need them to say anything. Just be with me. And they did, and they are still to this day. Why do I say all that? I'm simply saying that Jesus makes us promises that he keeps. He assured us of the reality of the destination. My little Melissa, I miss her. I still dream of her. Always alive. Usually saying something smart aleck like she was prone to do. Uh, I still pray for her. Now, this is crazy, but how does a father pray for a deceased daughter? But I do, and here's how. I pray every day. God would teach her something new. I pray that he would hug her for us. Call out her name every day. Jesus tells us of the reality of the destination. I got to move on before I just become a bubbling, bub blubbering uh, idiot. And so, number three, Jesus tells us of his return trip to accompany us. I want you to see this. This is extremely important. In the midst of him comforting his disciples, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Well, their hearts were troubled. And he gives us that word of comfort, even when it's not even understandable. He said, you believe in God? Believe also in me. He's trying to get his disciples to place their faith where they need to place it. And we all must do that. Because the challenging days are going to come. And I pray nothing ever happens to you like happened to us. Nothing. I don't want that to ever happen. Even to people I don't like very much. I would never want that to happen. But let me tell you something, my friends. It's not a question of if trouble's going to come into your life. It's a question of when and how much. It's going to happen. There's not a soul in this place that is not touched by some kind of tragedy, malady, difficulty. It is a part of the human condition. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, which we'll come to in a couple of chapters, maybe a couple of years, 
He, he said, in this life, you will have tribulation. And so if you're listening to any health and wealth preacher that tells you if you come to Christ, you'll never have trouble, you need to turn that off real quick because they're not telling you the truth. That's exactly what they're doing, my friend Jake. False information. He's all right, Phil. He's telling the truth. Right, Jake? Say amen. Amen. False information. Turn that off because Jesus said you're going to have trouble in this world. But I'm here for you. I'm here for you. You see, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me because in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have been honest with you. I go and I prepare a place for you. And if I come, if I go, I will come again. And I'll receive you unto myself. So he tells us of the return trip to accompany us. Isn't this beautiful? It's a clear promise. Some of us will die and we'll see the Lord and we'll go to our heavenly home in that death time. But others may be alive when Jesus returns and we will not see that shadow of death. But we will be with him and it's a place, it must be a place of love and joy. John the revelator, John the gospel writer would later write and tell us and he would almost run out of words when he would talk about heaven. It's a place of love and joy. He, he used so many symbols and he said there's no death there, there's no sorrow there, there's no crying there, there's no pain there. And Brother Tim and I are going to work on a duet, my favorite duet, No More Night. And it's referring to that day when there will be no more night. John almost ran out of symbols and descriptions of what it's going to be like. And almost immediately in verse, as you'll see, Thomas, who's often been called, what's he called? Doubting Thomas? Well, you can put him down if you want to. He's more like most of us than we want to admit. He immediately points out that he doesn't understand this. He doesn't know what, what, what he wants to be with Jesus and how, why can't we go be with you, Lord Jesus? And Jesus assures him that he's going to be. Heaven is a real place. It's a loving place, but it's also an exclusive place. Only a place for those who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus does not just simply teach the way or point the way. He says, I am the only way. He will wipe away, in this one statement, he wipes away any other proposed way to heaven. And that means any religious ceremonies that people tell you will get you to heaven, not true. Any other works, good works you think you might have done that do good enough to get you into heaven, not true. He tells us that nothing, costly gifts, you can't buy your way into heaven. I had one guy, he's not here today, bought me breakfast at a redneck place the other day. He said, now preacher, I'm not buying my way into heaven. I said, no, you're not. But you can keep on trying. Keep on buying my breakfast. <laughs> keep on buying my breakfast. But no, I hate to tell you, newsflash is not going to work. Because Jesus said, I am the way. There is a definitive article there. I am the way, not a way. I am the truth. I am the life. And nobody comes to the Father but by me. That's the only way to take the trip. 
is to love him, know him. He is the way. Well, how did that calm the disciples' hearts? By telling them, boys, I'm with you. And I'm the way home. I'm the way home. And there's nothing else that counts other than you coming home with me. Wow. Paul later said it, had this truth in mind, no doubt, when he wrote in Romans chapter 8. He said, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. Are you ready to take the trip? Oh, I pray that you are. Are you ready to take that trip? We see that the way has been set forth. We see the one who will accompany us has been assured and we see his encouraging, comforting presence has been promised. What a great trip. Now look at me. I want you to memorize John 14, verses 1, 2, and 3. That's going to be on our memorization list. There will be a test. Memorize it. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and I prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself. And there you will be with me forever. We know that's true, don't we? Are you ready for the trip? Pray with me. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your powerful word. I thank you in that cold November day, Lord, how you ministered to me through this very passage and to my wife and my other girls, other passages at other times. We thank you, Lord, that you continue to comfort our hearts in all of our times of trouble. You are a good God. You are a present. And we pray right now that every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place would submit his or her life to you so that we might be near to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.